Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. And you're welcome to The Michael Reed Show, 086-1800-658, as always, our text number. We're going to begin this morning's programme with Brexit and a visit to the studio from Minister Helen McEntee, Minister of State for European Affairs. Good morning to you, morning, Minister. Good morning, Before we talk about Brexit, can I just bring you closer to home for a second and confirmation yesterday from the Sinn Féin thinking up the road in, the, uh, in Cavan that they are going to table a motion of no confidence in your colleague, the Housing Minister, Owen Murphy. Your reaction to this, please? Well, my reaction is I think that instead of spending their time trying to corral other political parties and other uh, members of the Dáil to vote against a housing minister, they should be working with him um, and if not producing their own documents or producing their own plans as to how they can solve this. And as to date, they've produced very little. I think Owen Murphy has a very difficult job. Um, if you look through not just an Irish history, but any history, when you have an economic crash, one of the first things to go uh, is property. And then the first things or one of the last things to recover is property as well in terms of building and the time it takes. So this is a long term plan. We have in Fine Gael a long-term plan and obviously that takes time. But just this year alone and last year, we're starting to see the number of houses being built shooting up, particularly in Meath. We're starting to see houses being developed throughout the county. So I think this is something, yes, that takes time. But I think we need to allow and give our minister the time not putting forward silly motions that are only going to take up time in the dull timber instead of actually focusing on what but we But I'm need sure to you do. would agree that the figures that we've seen recently, I mean, it's almost 10,000 people are homeless now. It's not good enough, is it? Well, we need to continue doing what we're doing and that is making the environments right for people to build houses and we're starting to see that produce results. It is taking time, I understand that, and it's taking longer than people would like. But we do know, and, and I think even the reports in the paper this week show um, that we're going to start to see houses, hopefully, and prices, they will increase slightly a little bit more this year, but they will start to taper off and we're going to start to see the effects of all of the building that has started already. So I think we need to allow the Minister to continue the work that he's doing and to be supported by my colleague as well here in Meath, Damien English. And you wouldn't expect him to be removed from office and, I, this, and this I, vote to succeed. I don't think that it will and, and I really hope that it does not, no. Moving on to Brexit, the British government, uh, government and the Cabinet goes back to work today after their summer holidays. In terms of timelines, etc., where are we at the moment? So the negotiations started back up about two weeks ago. Um, obviously, there had been a, a break or a recess over the summer, probably shorter than normally would be. Um, discussions started again two weeks ago and essentially our timeline is Thursday, six weeks for the October uh, European Council. I think 
the task force has slightly changed its position, particularly in terms of the Northern Irish border and in how they are approaching this. Beforehand, we had been asking the UK government to come forward with their own solution. They don't agree with the Irish protocol and the the translation of it by the European Union. Uh, So we have been asking them to come forward with their own translation as to how we can avoid a border. And obviously for us, this is still our focus and our priority. What they're doing now is engaging with them on the detail. Uh, So what kind of goods and services are moving north and south? Uh, how would we address uh, the issue of avoiding a border on the island of Ireland? And I think we're starting to see a little bit more progress. We're starting to see a little bit more engagement. And I also think the fact that the white paper was produced before the summer, while there are certainly, and, and Barney has been very clear, while there are certainly key areas that they do not agree on, there are other areas that they're finding common ground. And it has allowed negotiations to increase uh, and to become more frequent. And, and that's obviously the focus and the priority. Over the past week, we've seen the German Foreign Minister Heiko Maas has said that the avoidance of a hard border is pivotal to these negotiations. And we've also seen a U-turn from the great Jacob Rees-Mogg, who uh, two weeks ago wanted us all to be inspected at the border like they did during the Troubles. Uh, and this morning he's coming out in the English papers and saying uh, the Irish government doesn't want a border, the British government doesn't want a border, the people of Northern Ireland don't want a border, let's just have no border. It's quite a U-turn. Well, I mean, I don't think it's as simple to say we just don't want a border so we won't put one up. Um, We are members of the European Union and will remain members. That means we're part of the single market and the customs union. The UK have said that they're leaving both of those and so you can't just uh, allow free movement north and south. Um, And this is why we had the protocol. This is why we reached an agreement before Christmas which we felt set out how we could avoid that border at the same time respecting, I, I think, what are very difficult red lines but the red lines that the UK have put forward, that they're leaving the single market, that they're leaving the customs union. We have at no stage in any way said that we would accept the reintroduction of a border. Um, But what I think is important is that Theresa May has also said consistently, not just last December, but again in March, again in her white paper, and even since the renegotiations and negotiations have started again, that they will not countenance a hard border on the island of Ireland. So really, we, you know, the time is running down. Um, we are six weeks away from the deadline. Can, that can was we set. get there in six weeks? I, I think negotiations need to continue to intensify and continue in the manner that they have for the past two weeks. Meetings are happening every day. Um, however, it is up to the UK if they want to look for an extension uh, or if they need additional time. What we need here is the right outcome. We need the right result. And if that means taking a little bit longer or ext- extending time, the challenge here, though, is, however, unlike other deadlines that we've had, which started two years ago, we have been able to extend them somewhat because we've known that we have much more time. Brexit is happening next March, um, so that, that is the deadline. That deadline cannot be extended, can it? That deadline can only be extended if the UK ask for it to be extended, and as of yet, they have never asked, they have never suggested, and it has never But you would be willing to listen if they ask for an extension? Again, I, I think for me, what we want here is the best outcome. What we want to ensure is that people in Ireland uh, and indeed in the UK and the rest of Europe are impacted as little as possible, that our businesses are impacted as little as possible. Uh, and so if it takes that little bit of time, but again, this is something that the UK have to come forward with. In the meantime, what we need to be doing and, and what we are doing and encouraging is for business to make sure that they are ready. So even if we have the best possible outcome, even if tomorrow the UK were to say... Um, you know, we will remain in a single market or a customs union, there would still be some checks and some changes required because they are leaving the European Union. So we need to make sure that businesses are ready and that is the work that we are currently doing. Do you think Theresa May is, is aware that if she did ask for an extension it would be looked unfavourably? 
Absolutely. I think this has had been this has been said mm. to her many times and, and this is something that has been suggested. But again, this has to come from the UK government. Um, and, you know, we've seen how things can change and we've seen how things in politics can change very quickly. So I think the focus at the moment needs to be on getting the right outcome instead of looking. She's down. She's down to a majority of only 13 votes now. I mean, she's, she she seems to be struggling to sell still at this point. Brexit to her own party, never mind Parliament. I mean, Nick Bowles has said in the papers this morning or yesterday that you know the chance of her getting this deal through is as close to zero as you will get in politics. I mean, that's quite a statement for him to make. Well, I'm the optimist, and I think uh, we have achieved a lot um, in the space of time. Granted, we are working on this over two years now, um, but I think we have achieved a lot, and we are at the last hurdle in terms of reaching a full agreement on the withdrawal agreement. This has to be agreed before they leave the European Union, otherwise we have a no deal. Uh, the Irish issue is something that I think we need to de-dramatise and, and Michel Barnier has used that phrase many times um, and I think we need to do that by doing exactly what the task force are doing now, engaging on the detail, looking at the specifics, identifying where we need to actually work together to avoid a hard border and we have to remember as well there are differences between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK in the same way there are differences between Scotland and the rest of the UK and uh, these are you know this is not something that I'm stating that's new we're you know we're stating the obvious and I think we need to be able to work with those facts and try and de-damage De- our, old, uh, our old friend Boris Johnson isn't exactly helping matters, uh, matters as usual because in his column for the Telegraph this week he said uh, in, a, in adopting the Chequers proposals which is what Theresa May has put forward uh, most recently he says we have gone into battle with the white flag fluttering over our leading tank if we continue on this basis we will throw away most of the advantages of Brexit and then he went on to say if we remain in the sorry we will remain in the EU taxi but this time locked in the boot with absolutely no say on on the destination. That sort of rhetoric is not helping, is it? Well, I mean, we've been hearing a lot of this throughout the past two years um, and I don't think really, and and I I have tended not to comment on on Mm. the UK politics and and I don't think I'll start at this stage, but I think Theresa May does have a challenge on her hands and we've seen that every proposal that has been brought forward, every piece of legislation that has been brought forward, um, every attempt to move forward, um, there have been challenges and that just shows, I think, the diversity uh, and the, the split that there is among the government, but also the, the Conservative Party. And that is it's not something that we can influence. What we can do is work with the task force. And we're doing that still again on, on a daily basis. Our officials um, at a European level in Brussels and at home here are continuously engaging with Michel Barnier and his task force. And what we can do is work with them to provide the information that they need so that they can work with Theresa May and her government. She is still the Prime Minister, despite what Boris Johnson or anybody else says. Uh, they supported her checkers plan. They then pulled that support away, but she is still the Prime Minister and she is the person that we are working with. Two interesting things. Uh, John Bruton, number one, has responded to Theresa May's refusal to call a second referendum. Um, She's saying it it would just not happen and he said this is nonsensical. Would you agree with him? Well, I I would agree in that he said, uh, and I think he was making comment on Theresa May's uh, referral, that to have another vote would be unconstitutional and would not be the right thing to do. John Bruton very clearly outlined that if people feel that they were not given the right information or that if people are not liking the outcome of this, then the most constitutional thing to do would be to offer them a second vote. So I have always believed that if they were to offer a second vote, it would be the right thing to do. But again, this is something that the UK have to do themselves. Uh, Theresa May has very clearly said that that's not going to happen. I think that's unfortunate, but uh, we must see how things progress now. Uh, what a lot of her 
cabinet members and what a lot of her colleagues are asking for is a vote on the overall outcome um, and obviously we need to see how things progress in the mm. coming weeks because they do have to bring this to their parliament in the same way that many other European countries have to bring the final outcome to their parliament to ratify so even if we do reach an agreement in October we still have some way to go it still has to be passed by the UK government and many of the other governments as well so the a, other, a lot of things to be done The other comment I thought was interesting over the weekend was in one of the German papers Michel Barnier accused Britain basically of securing advantages of EU membership without any responsibility and uh, he was talking about raisins and that he said the exact quote was if we let the British pick the raisins out of our rules that would have serious consequences then all sorts of other third countries could insist that we offer them the same benefits. He said that would be the end of the single market and the European project. Is he hardening his line or is is he being realistic here? I don't think he's changed his line from the very first day. Um, the European Union works because European member states come together and they apply the same rules, the same regulations, but they work together to actually create those rules and regulations. And the UK for 45 years have been instrumental in actually uh, creating and developing and implementing thousands and thousands of legislation to try and make uh, the European Union a prosperous place, a place where people can live, can work, can travel, can move freely. So to actually leave it and to take parts of it that you want and leave parts Cherry that you pick. don't want, it's not possible. Mm. If, if you do that, and I would agree with them, I, I think if you start to pull apart the single market, if you start to pull apart the rules and regulations that are there, then the European Union itself ceases to, to function as it should. So, I, I you know, I, I fully agree with them and I don't think this is anything new. The, U, the UK know this and they have been instrumental, as I said, in creating the European Union uh, so they know what they can and what they can't do. There's uh, two groups in, in Britain, Our Future, Our Choice and Best for Britain, conducted a, a poll, they're both anti-Brexit groups, by the way, um, and they conducted a poll with people in Northern Ireland. 52% said they would support a united Ireland if Britain was to leave the EU, EU and 56% said they would support a united Ireland if a hard border was introduced. Is that a reflection, do you think, or is it just an opinion poll? I think certainly if we look at opinion polls over recent times, they have shifted slightly and they have changed. Um, But again, I I think it's not something that we need to be or that we should be discussing now and I think it kind of it takes away from what we're trying to do and I think it actually puts the drama back into the issue of Northern Ireland and this is why Michel Barnier says we need to de-dramatise it if we're starting to talk about an all-Ireland um, or reunification we're missing the point here what we want is to have the best possible well, outcome for people happen north between now and the south. end of March is it? there's no way you're going to reunify Ireland in six absolutely months absolutely not and it's not it's something we months. would even consider because it's not something that's on our agenda our focus is to make sure that we avoid a hard border and that the people and their businesses are as least impacted as possible What do you think Leo Radker will say to Donald Trump about his support for Brexit when he visits us? Uh, well I, I think the, the Prize visit, shall we say, has mm. come a, as a bit of a shock to everyone. I know, um, when, including Leo Varadkar. Well, I, I know when the Taoiseach visited um, the US last year for St Patrick's Day, he had said that a visit hadn't been discussed or wasn't on the cards. But obviously, this is now happening. Um, you know, I, I think I, like many others, don't necessarily agree with Donald Trump's policies and uh, the manner in which uh, he conducts himself sometimes. But at the same time, he is president of the United States of America. He has been elected by millions of people and he will be uh, in his position for some time. But 
when he leaves that position will still be there and I think mm. the relationship between Ireland and the US needs to remain as strong as but it you, has done you would expect Brexit years. to be on the agenda somewhere. Brexit will absolutely be on the agenda and I think we will have to make our position very clear uh, and have to explain why it is so important that we avoid a border on the island of Ireland and why Brexit is not good for Ireland and I believe not good for the UK either Minister Helen McEntee Minister of State for European Affairs thank you for your time this thank morning you. we'll be back after this Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. 086 1800 658, our text number. As you heard on the news, public charging, public pricing charges for parking in Drogheda are to be reduced in line with Dundalk. A motion calling for the 120 per hour charge to be reduced to 1 euro was passed at yesterday's meeting of the Borough Council of Drogheda. The proposal was put forward by independent councillor Kevin Callum. We're going to talk to Kevin in a second. But also joining us in the studio to discuss this is councillor Kenneth Flood, Sinn Fein councillor on Louth County Council and councillor P.O. Smith, Labour councillor. We're going to begin though with Kevin Callan. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. How are you? Four years and four attempts. You got there in the end. Well, not four years, but certainly four attempts, Carl. Just to give them, a, I suppose, a bit of a background on this. In 2014, Louth County Council took over the responsibility for pay parking in Drogheda and Dundalk. And from 2014 to last summer, we're, we're going to come back to you in one second. Sorry, Kevin, up. you're back. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. So the situation is that Lake County Council have continued to have um, a two-tier system. In Dundalk, the charge was one euro per hour, and in Drogheda, it was one twenty. Now it's taken four attempts, but finally we've reached uh, agreement on this, and the majority of councillors have supported it. So, to me, it might only be, in some people's eyes, a small amount of money, but there's a principle involved, and I don't believe one local authority can charge two different rates. It would be like the Revenue Commissioners charging one set of income tax rates in Cork and a difference for Dublin. You know, people wouldn't stand over it. So I'm glad that we've reached agreement and that we will now see a fair charge that's balanced across the county. Kenneth Flood, can I ask you about the amendments that you then added uh, after this motion was passed? Yeah, um, well, the Sinn Féin group were always in support of reducing the charge. However, when the opportunity had come in the past to uh, look at rates, it was when the parking bylaws fell. And if we had introduced the cut at that stage, it would have meant that it would have been back out the public consultation again and months more of parking chaos in the town with no charges. So while we were always in favour of the one euro rate throughout the majority of the town, we wanted to bring back in the parking regime as quickly as possible to end the parking chaos. But we also knew those other areas of the town, such as around the hospital, that the one euro rate <coughs> would not be suitable for. Now, it wouldn't be suitable because the hospital parking rate is uh, up to two euro for one hour and four euro for two hours. So people wouldn't use the hospital car park itself. And Your the residents of Wimmill Road have enough problems already. That's exactly the reason why. We um, presented the amendment that uh, there be one euro parking throughout the town everywhere, except in the hospital zone, which we outlined at the previous parking subcommittee meetings to the council. We were thankful that was passed. The residents in the area are happy that that was passed because we'll incentivise people to use the hospital car parks instead of parking on the streets in that area. The other amendment we made was for the all-day uh, parking spaces on the North Strand and on the Dublin Road. Previously, it was two euro on one side and three euro on the other side. That's equalised now at two fifty for all-day parking in those limited spaces. And in terms of Wimmill Road, you're proposing that one side of it be residents only. How is that going to work? Well, 
when we initially uh, raised this with the chief executive and the officials, we were told that it wasn't feasible, it wasn't workable, it could not happen in any way, shape or form. That was the response we got and the response that we as councillors accepted. However, the residents then went and looked at parking regimes throughout the country <coughs> and saw that it has happened in hospital zones around the country, <coughs> Excuse me, in, uh, in Dublin and elsewhere. And so we went back and asked the chief executive, you've told us this wasn't possible and now we're being told this is possible. Is this the case? We we're told, yes, it is, it is legally possible, but we just don't want to do it. However, throughout this entire process going on for eight months now, in every meeting we had with the residents and every meeting we had with the council officials, the, the consensus was that for the residents of that area who don't all own cars, that a, a limited amount of residents only parking. Hence one area, side only. On one side only. only. Councillor Peel, if I can ask you, first of all, you voted against the mm. proposal last night. Can you tell us why you voted against it? Well, I voted against it for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, let's, let's put this in context. I mean, in 2014, the Dock Town Council, which was a local authority in its own right, reduced the parking fee from 130 to 1 euro. And then when the uh, Loud County Council took over all of the uh, administration for the county in 2014. That heritage came through. Draw the Borough Council, they could have done that any time after 2014 and didn't decide to do it. Now, if it's about equality, uh, let's look at the way the budget split up. I mean, if you take the budget from Dock, Drada and RD, we have the bigger budget here in Drada. There's more money spent in Drada here every year than spent in Drada or Dundalk and RD. So if a town councillor on Dundalk starts jumping up and says, oh, we want the same mo- mo- uh, budget as Drada has, are people going to turn around and say, no, that's not fair? So that's, that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is we had the opportunity last night to ring fence uh, money for spending in Drada. So we could have reduced the rate to €1 euro and then put the rate back up uh, to one twenty. Then we'd be sure of at least three hundred thousand euros a year that we could spend in the town. And you think products. that's what's going to be lost in this? Is three hundred thousand? Well, well I, I think that's one. We would have been sure of the money being spent in Drada. Now we're not sure. And the county manager was saying last night that she's going to be looking at how she's going to cut back in relation to the budget in order to balance it then for twenty nineteen. By approximately the same cut that's after being given, 200 grand. So, Kenneth, you've you've cost Strada 300,000 euro. I don't don't accept that at all. Um, First of all, uh, we don't know, will there be uh, a reduction in income from parking in Strada? The increase around the hospital zone will bring in additional income. The one euro charge. Will people may not just move further away from the hospitals? Though? No, no. The, the one euro charge may incentivise more more people into the town instead of going to the retail parks. But just to come back on what the chief executive said about um, what it may cost, rather, we have raised various questions throughout the budgetary process in the past, which have never been answered by the Low County Council officials. In last year's budget process, in the pre-LPT meeting, the LPT meeting, the pre-budget meeting, and the budget meeting, we asked various questions, and I'll just give an example. On the PR firm that the uh, council uh, um, employ, how much do they cost? Where it's come from the budget? We don't get the answers. That's not going to be directly related to parking with no, no, the respect to PR companies. The entire budget Councilor, process Councilor Callan, is, you're back is on the not phone. clear. Yes, Kevin, I'm here. Yes. I'm here. Yep, how, how do you react to the uh, fact that perhaps up to £300,000 is now going to be taken out of the budget for Drogheda? Well, I'll put it this way, Carl. The whole way through this, we've been told that it wasn't really possible to calculate exactly what was lost during the pay park and bylaw crash. So, you know, I, I would have a serious concern about a figure of two or 300,000 being raised now that suddenly it is quantifiable. I do believe that it is not fair for a local authority to have two different sets of charges for people in the constituency. I raised this last year in terms of residents in Drogheda having to pay, as Spencer Floods is there, but uh, residents parking. Drogheda residents had to pay over 12 euros a year for a permit. 
despite the fact that Dundalk residents could get one for nothing. I've nothing against Dundalk, but I do believe that we we, we should have fair treatment. And the reality Would you have heard P.O. say that the budget for Drogheda is way bigger than the budget for Dundalk? No, no, but you see, that's, that's the fundamental point here, Carl, that up to 2014, Drogheda Borough Council had its budget. It was just over €30 million. Euros. But from 2014 to now, the money that's collected in Drogheda for paid parking is going into the general county council budget. And it's up then to the officials in, in the county to decide where that's allocated. So it's not the case that we Sorry, it is. Sorry. Back. Now, let, let's be clear about this. <clears throat> it was stated quite clearly at budget meetings that I've been at for the last four years that the same budget that Drawed Borough Council had in 2014 is uh, carried through uh, after 2014. So our budget is bigger. The money we get to spend in Drawed every year is bigger than the money that people I t- don't no, I get. That's a fact. I totally disagree with you on that well, point. That okay, well, we talk to the chief executive. We told, we, yeah, we were told in, in absolute terms that the overall budget to the county council had decreased and has decreased from 2014 on. Yes, but so the allocation is bigger and so has remained the same. Yeah, it has been made very clear that the pay parking charge, what we raise in Drogheda in revenue from pay parking, is not going into the Drogheda kit. Um, no, so, that's, not uh, that's, 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 that's not true. That's, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. So I, um, I just make the point that um, Dundalk was included in the 2002 National Spatial Strategy, whereas Drogheda wasn't. It was down to support town. Dundalk is able to call on millions of euro in funding and has that Drogheda is not able to access. So although the council budget may be bigger, in actual terms of money that goes into the infrastructure and upkeep of a town, re- regenerating it and so on, Dundalk is able to call on millions and millions more euro than Drada is. But that's so, a national decision. That's not a local decision. That's, you know. we, we take it on and we look at the full picture. Yeah. But is parking relevant to any of that? Parking is relevant to everything. Parking brings so what in, happens when you lose the 200 or 300 grand? What, like, what, what like goes? I said, do, like I said, I do don't accept, the streets? I don't accept that figure. They were not yeah. able, well, they, they, they look, were not able to quantify the, that they figure were, beforehand. Actually, they were. And Joanna Bourne was one of the people who was at, at a meeting in Fairness Tour and she called out exactly the amount of money that uh, that was lost in the reduction, which is 200,000. She was at one of the very first meetings. She's a Sinn Féin councillor and she called that out. And we all could see it. And it was stated at a number of different meetings that the figure we were talking about was approximately 200,000 euros. Now, if we were about setting policy and, and, and providing services, look at Drogheda, for example. Uh, we could do an awful lot of, uh, of, uh, of things with that money. That's a million euros over a five-year term. Look at the urban design framework. We could actually put a broadwalk from St Mary's Bridge right up to Dominic's Bridge, linking up right into the broadwalk into Oldbridge. Kevin, we Callum, could do have, so much with that money. Have you its boardwalk? Uh, absolutely not, Carl. Absolutely not. Um, if you look at County Loud over the last number of years, RD, the councillors in RD voted to abolish pay parking in the town. Dundalk voted, as Councillor Smith has said a number of years ago, to reduce it. So when Drogheda tries to reduce it, even as though it's the highest rate of pay parking in the county, um, when we try to reduce it, suddenly we're told that all of these services are going to close, are going to shut down. The council had from 2014 to 2018 to consolidate and to balance out the rate of parking. If they had said Dundalk, bring it down, let's say bring it up to 110 and Drogheda, bring it down to 110, they could have balanced this out, but they took no steps to do this. The first time this was raised was by myself when the pay parking bylaw crashed. And unless that bylaw had actually crashed, this, con- this situation would continue. I could not believe when I saw that the town of Dundalk was continuing to charge a different rate 
Andrade was being unfairly treated. But so you, you could have put forward, you could have put forward that motion when you were borough councillor. You never did. Why did you not do it when you were borough councillor? We're just, we're just going to. I raised this last year. Thank you, Kevin. Unfortunately, Kevin, we're running out of time. Kenneth, I'm going to ask you the very last question, if you could be as brief as possible, please. What happens now? Is when does this come into effect? Well, well, as we are told by the meeting administrator, that some things will need to go to public consultation uh, and some things won't. So we should see the initial reduction in the next few weeks and then other changes to come after that, after a public consultation process. I do expect the chief executive to try and stop some of the things that we voted for last night. But last night was a victory and we will continue to push for it. Councillor Kenneth Flood, Sinn Féin Councillor on Louth County Council, thank you for your time this morning. Our thanks also to Councillor P.O. Smith, who joined us in studio, and to Councillor Kevin Callan on the phone. Thank you for that. We will be back after the break. Michael Reed on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun, and we thank you for listening this morning. A report issued today by Social Justice Ireland says that the housing crisis is a national emergency and the body has called on the government to take serious action and very quickly at that. Joining me on the phone to discuss this is Father Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland. Good morning to you, Father Healy. Good morning, Cahill. The housing crisis, uh, the mortgage arrears crisis, the health crisis, the childcare crisis, we seem to have nothing but a series of crises at the moment. Yes, uh, I think people are reaping the whirlwind of the failure to deal with infrastructure issues and and, uh, various other problems and challenges as they came along over the last seven, eight years since the crash. Now, uh, there's probably important at the beginning, uh, in case people think we're unfair, uh, that we actually recognise quite seriously that Ireland is doing quite well on a range of fronts. For example, the economy is growing, unemployment is low, our population is rising steadily, we have reached fiscal targets that were set way back at the time of the bailout. So there are things there that can be pointed to. They are substantial and so on. However, uh, on the negative side, there's all the things that you mentioned and more, if you like, because uh, things that are central to people's well-being, their housing, their health care, uh, the, the community, the support, whether or not they're in poverty, the public services that are available to them. These are the kinds of things that make a difference and uh, do or, or, or either guarantee one's well-being or uh, ensure that it's not there in the first place. So I think when we're looking at 800,000 people in poverty, 700,000 people on waiting lists for health care procedures, 87,000 households on waiting lists for social housing, 10,000 homeless, uh, 1.2 million people experiencing poverty or, so, or deprivation, and 3 out of 10 households don't have a fixed broadband connection, which is interesting too. So like, there's no doubt that rural broadband, for example, has, has been a failure in the sense that uh, government after government has planned to roll it out. And we've had six or seven different programs promised by about four or five ministers, but we're no closer to it. And it's years away still from, for a great many people in rural Ireland. And it's, it's isn't, isn't it very clear that while you, you talk, I mean, we can all see the signs of the Celtic Tiger return and, and there's finally talked today that house prices may be uh, going to stop increasing sometime this year but if you look across the major cities and particularly on the east coast there are cranes all over the place there are builders back in the garages first thing in the morning buying their breakfast rolls and their newspapers etc mm-hmm. 
But that, that boom is not being felt across the population, never mind the country. That is correct. And the, the out, very interesting thing uh, that people need, are very aware of, like, is that pay increases, for example, haven't been dramatic. People, an awful lot of people are working for minimum wage. Uh, they, a lot of people don't have uh, full-time jobs. Uh, a very interesting statistic, okay, our, our job numbers are growing, but there's over 100,000 people with a job who are living in poverty. Now, there's something wrong with that in a situation where we have such a thriving economy. The second thing to note about those, all those cranes, I mean, that's a measure in a way that used to be used as a kind of a shorthand to know whether or not we were making progress. The problem is that most of those cranes are not involved in tackling the housing problem. And we have a situation where a very simple law of economics that every person understands and doesn't need any degree or PhD or anything else in economics to understand. If the supply of a product isn't keeping pace with the demand, then the price is going to go up. If there's more people looking for stuff than are actually, uh, there's stuff, whatever it may be, available, you're going to have a problem. And what we have in housing is the demand is keeping no pace whatsoever uh, with the, 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 sorry, the supply is not keeping pace at all with the demand. And we have 87,000 households, over half of them being families, actually there on waiting lists. A, a large number of those are among the most vulnerable. They're, they're people, uh, older people and uh, families with children. And they are uh, waiting but there isn't any hope that what government is planning and what government expects to do in the next five years is going to come anywhere near meeting the requirements. And of so course, we, the, the added complication there is that as the lack of demand in the private sector that forces prices up and it makes it more difficult for the government to build houses. Precisely. And what we've been recommending over and over and over again is that the government itself has to take the initiative here and get back to where we were. We built sufficient houses for all, uh, and, and had houses for every who needed them uh, back in the day when we were not a wealthy country when we were one of the poorest countries in Europe we could do that so why can't we do it today and what is required the local authorities and, and the government itself get involved and put in the resource to actually produce some like 90,000 social housing units now if you had that in the morning just I know it can't be delivered in the morning but if you had it in the morning you'd be able to take those 87,000 households on waiting lists and put them all into social housing and what that would do is it would free up 87,000 houses or accommodation units in the private rented sector because that's where all of these people are. And suddenly, with that type of a, a, a additional supply, you'd get a balancing of the market between the demand of the supply and the private rented sector. So there would be huge positives for the, for, to do this by, by government doing this. There's another issue that's being ignored constantly, and I, this fascinates me in a, in, a, in a world that is very concerned about the long-term implications uh, for children of what happens to them when they're children. And I think that's a huge plus in the way uh, we have come on and understand now uh, that it's very, very important to, under, to deal with it and to have a good life for children when they're young. What are the implications of the situation we now have where there's uh, 3,700, 3,800 children on, uh, uh, homeless and where there's a huge number of children living in, 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 in houses and in accommodation that's overcrowded at best 
and that may well be very, very poor uh, condition uh, at worst. And so I think we have a situation where there's an awful lot of young people, children today, who are going to be growing up as adults who are going to be damaged because their experience when they were young is very, very negative. If people uh, don't have access to appropriate accommodation, they're in their lives are impacted on not just at that moment but for years and years later Father Haley if people would like to have a look at this report is it available online? Absolutely fully online downloadable for free our website socialjustice.ie and you'll get a lot of other material there as well all of it downloadable for free Thank you so much for your time this morning. That's that Father Sean Haley. Here, Thank, you. Thank you. That's Father Sean Haley, Director of Social Justice Ireland. We'll be back after the break with the news headlines. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. 086-1800-658, our number on WhatsApp and for your text. And joining me now to discuss those texts is Marie Cairns. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning to you, Cahill, and to all our listeners. Lots Jim, of comments. Yes, plenty coming in today. Jim from Dramiskin was listening in to the interview at the top of the programme with Minister Helen McEntee. He says, I'm listening to them talking about Brexit. And you know what, says Jim, I'm just fed up of it. He says, at the end of the day, Jim feels the UK will do what it wants, Europe will do what it wants, and Ireland will do what it's told. So. And we've another seven months of being fed up, Jim. <laughs> Jimmy, on the same topic, says Brexit is what the British voters voted for, and he predicts that Ireland will vote the same way and will leave the EU for the very same reasons that the UK is leaving it. And he thinks that's going to happen in the next five years. So watch this space. Vera from Dundalk phoned in. And Vera says that it will be those living in and working in the towns around the border who'll suffer most if there's a no-deal Brexit. And the clock is ticking, says Vera. And she thinks it's very worrying and also very unsettling. Six weeks. Six weeks to get the deal. And then 29th of March next year. Bye-bye. See ya. It's worrying. It Mm -hmm. is worrying. I can understand why people are feeling the way they are and... They, the talking seems to be going on forever and yet we still haven't reached that. We're still not clear. No, no. Moving away from that, if I can, and on to the presidential election. And Fran was in touch and Fran says, a president is not needed in this country. He's one of those people who thinks that we spend too much money on the role and that it's time to abolish it. There you go. Abolish the presidency, says Fran. <laughs> well, he just he doesn't think there's a need for it. Well, we're all going to go to the polls on the 26th of October and last night, or yesterday afternoon even, Meath County Council made its voice heard because Meath voted for Meath and I'm delighted to say that our senior reporter Casey O'Reardon is in studio. Casey, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. You were at the meeting in Navin yesterday and uh, Meath, as I say, voted for Meath. Yes, they did. They voted for Gavin Duffy. I suppose unsurprisingly, I felt, as I told you last week, that there was massive support for him in the room. And Meath is actually the first county to declare. So Gavin's kind of gotten off on a great foot and that he, I suppose it's a great way to start your campaign is that he, he's been given the first vote. And it was quite a, an emphatic vote as well, wasn't it? 17 votes for Gavin? 17 votes for Gavin and then the next nearest was Sean Gallagher with seven. And, you know, which isn't bad considering he didn't pitch to councillors and according to Jerry O'Connor had never even uh, written to any of them. So he, he had a bit of support there as well. But 
you know, he couldn't be beaten by Gavin, he couldn't be caught. The selfie king, as you are. The selfie king, yeah. Now, the 17 votes were interesting because a number of Fianna Gael councillors voted in favour of Gavin Duffy, even though they had been directed by their party not to support any candidate Mm -hmm. other than Michael D. Higgins. Well, and Gavin actually tweeted afterwards thanking Mead County Council for the support, but he noted that it was a cross-party thing. He had independence, he had Fianna Gael, and then Fianna Fáil's Tommy Riley actually supported him as well, when when a lot of the other Fianna Fáil councillors really supported Sean. In fact, I think all of Sean's seven votes are Fianna Fáil councillors. So he had cross-party support yesterday. It does seem, Marie, that Sean Gallagher is almost a Fianna Fáil candidate. It does, even though he's doing his best to, to disassociate himself <laughs> and of course from that. it. But you would wonder, will Sean look back? I mean, we don't know. He got, you know, he's confident of getting, I think, is it Leitrim today? Mm. So he says, and he, he seems to think that he has, the you know, enough in the bag to get the four councils that he needs. But you would wonder, did he lose out somewhat by not declaring earlier? Like if he got seven without even going before the council, or maybe he thought that Gavin had it, <laughs> it was a done deal because Gavin was from County Maybe he was told in the Dragon's Den to stay out of Meath. And and interesting, he didn't get Cork yesterday either. Joan Freeman, I mean, that followed the Meath vote and and Joan Freeman got that. Two two votes Joan Freeman got. Yeah, two. So she was uh, proposed by Councillor Joe Bonner and seconded by Fine Gael Councillor Gillian Toole. But um, they spoke about kind of how they were supporting her because of her work in mental Mm. health. But really, they were the only two to actually vote for her then. And yet in in Cork City Council last night, she got all 14 votes. Of those who voted by the abstention, she got all 14 votes. I suppose people do kind of vote for their own you know there was definitely people commenting about, I know uh, so Gavin was proposed by independent Nick Killian and, and seconded by Sharon Kogan who who noted that you know Gavin's been her, her neighbour for 20 years so you know you're supporting your own I suppose that's politics If you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet get 30, bet get 20, 20, 20, bet get 20, 20, bet get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Texas yeah. local, as they say. Now, Gavin himself wasn't there. He wasn't there. No, Gavin wasn't there. Uh, I actually spoke to his wife afterwards and she had said that um, that he was at other councils still continuing to pitch. So she was there and I think one of his sons was there. And, and I asked her about, you know, what was it like to get the first vote and to, and to start off on that foot? Yeah, it's very significant that we're the first out because I think there's been a lot of speculation as to which councils would support which candidate. And you don't have a council till you have them. And this is the first one to actually, you know, the first, Gavin is the first person to actually have a council, not to be just claiming to have a council. So that's very significant. And that was Orla Carmody, of course. Uh, we know Orla well in these parts. The vote now, of course, moves on to Loud next week. So it'll be interesting to see how Gavin Duffy does there, won't it? Yeah, well, they have to pitch. They're not even pitching until Wednesday right. evening. Yes. So that'll be kind of another thing that we're going to, or obviously we'll be covering it here. But it's a lot of the same people, really, that are, that are going to be pitching on Wednesday. So whether we'll hear anything new, I don't Do you know. know. I think it's, it's, it's interesting that the silence is quite deafening coming from councillors on Led County Council where their loyalties are going to lie. You know, it was very apparent quite early on the way a lot of the councillors in Mead were leaning. But it's definitely not the same in Louds. People are keeping their cards close to their chests at Mm -hmm. the moment. Now, maybe when they hear from the prospective candidates next Wednesday, we'll get some inkling what's going to happen. Do you think Sean Gallagher's local connections will help? I honestly don't know. I the last time I spoke to um Louth County Council they said he hadn't requested to pitch. So whether that's changed in the last few days since I've spoken to them I don't know but I, I think as of last Friday he hadn't uh, he hadn't indicated to and pitch. And Gavin Duffy of course has Gavin very Duffy is he's well. down he is down on their list. He so. lived, he's lived everywhere. It's coming in very <laughs> handy. People keep saying to me and where is he from again? Well, he was born in Kildare I think that's wasn't very, he he was reared in Drogheda and he lives in Meath. Yeah. That's very handy when it comes to all Ireland finals as well maybe, as, as, uh, I know from experience. Um Casey, last night as well, or yesterday, of course, in Louth, uh, or in Meath, two things happened. Uh, Edward Fennessy has been co-opted to take the seat uh, vacated by the sad death of Joe Riley. Yeah, so this was just kind of, a, I suppose, more of a formality that got underway just at the start of the meeting. Um, he was proposed by Sinead Burke and seconded by Imer Ferguson, who are obviously both Sinn Féin candidates. And, you know, he said he made a little speech, a uh, tribute to Joe Riley's legacy and spoke about how he wanted to make a positive difference in locals' lives. He seems like a really nice man that um, we will represent Navin well. And he abstained from the presidential... You will all of Sinn Féin's abstained, yeah. Because we're still waiting, Marie, aren't we, on their candidate? We are indeed. And we'll ask Pat O'Bean about that later in the programme. The other thing of interest, and, and I suspect uh, people in me might be even slightly more interested in this than in, with all due respect to Gavin Duffy, but local property tax, there was a proposal from the county manager, Jackie McGuire, CEO, that the uh, 15% increase be applied to property taxes to make up for the deficit in funding for next year didn't get much support, did it? No, it didn't get any. So councillors basically every year have the opportunity to vote to vary or not vary the local property tax and they can do so by up to 15%. So they can increase it by up to 15 or decrease it by, by 15 So, the, I mean, in the last five years they voted to leave it the same and that was kind of what ended up happening again. Um, Sinn Féin councillors wanted to vary it, but they wanted to vary it with a view to reducing it by the full 15%. And this kind of caused the usual back and forth. We had um, Sarah... 
Sarah Riley, a Fine Gael councillor, saying that, you know, she's very middle road. She considers herself, you know, to be a middle income earner and that if they were to decrease it by 15%, to her, that's €47 Euro over a year, which is €4 Euro a month and wouldn't get her a packet of nappies, where mm. she said it, she felt it'd be better off leaving that €47 Euro with Meath County Council to go towards playground upkeep and roads. So there was that kind of usual back and forth. But in the end, the vote was to, to leave it as it was. So the council have to go back to the drawing board now? The council have to go back to the drawing board. They were looking to offset a deficit that they're expecting next year, yeah. Uh, and finally, just before you go, because I almost forgot about it, um, no support for Marilyn Monroe. No support for Marilyn Monroe. Much, much to your disappointment. <laughs> much to my disappointment. I was I was shocked, actually. <laughs> when I heard that President Trump was coming and I said the week after the inauguration, it was just too good to be true. And sadly, it is too oh, good well, to be that true. just in Meath now. Maybe she'll go elsewhere. Well, she might turn up anyway for Donald. You never know. Or she could come before Loud next week. We don't know if we have the list of candidates yet. I think she is down for Loud, actually. Yes. I need to double check. Possibly. Okay. There you so go. There's still hope for Marilyn. There's Maryland. still hope. <laughs> now, what else is catching the attention, Marie? Yes, well, not surprisingly, perhaps we have comments in in relation to the situation, the pay parking in Drogheda. Margaret phoned in and Margaret says that she's delighted that there's a bit of good news for residents of the Wilma Road. She says she's not a resident herself, but has was listening to their interview here on LMFM there in recent weeks and she felt so sorry for the residents. Margaret's only concern is that she she wouldn't want uh, parking in areas close to the hospital to rise too much because she says a lot of people avail of that parking during the day to go for hospital appointments. And there is the proposal to have residents only parking on one side of Windmill Road. That's It'd right. It'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Well, I, you're going to have residents, I'd say, in areas like the Cord Road and Ulster Lane and other areas, I'd say, seeking the same treatment. Precedent, you know, precedent has been set. Another listener on that, Frank, says uh, typical small mindedness of councillors in Drogheda take 20 cents off the parking, but don't look at the big, bigger picture about the loss of revenue. I hope that the services in the town won't lose out. Well, that was certainly Peel's point. That was his Peel. Yeah, that was the point that Peel was making. Another listener, though, um, John phoned in and John says about time. Why should Dundalk be a different price and a lower price to Drogheda. Uh, it's now fair. Everybody is paying the same no matter where they park in the county. It certainly animates people, this. It does. When it comes parking and pay, paying for parking does, uh, certainly. And I suspect the discrepancy between Dundalk and Drogheda has animated people as well. Well, that's it. There's always that little bit of rivalry between the two towns. So that's it, Carl. We'll finish on that, and I'll come back in later, maybe if I get a chance. Another couple of comments. Oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight is our comment line and our WhatsApp number, and of course we're across Twitter at LMFM Radio, Facebook, and even Instagram. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show with me, Carl Dervin, and we thank you as always for your time this morning. The economy and shared prosperity are on the agenda for day two of Sinn Féin's annual Think In in Cavan, as you will heard on our main news earlier. And join us to discuss that and some more local issues is Deputy Pather Tolbean, Sinn Féin TD in Mead West, and the party spokesperson on regional development, rural affairs, arts and the Gaeldot. Good morning to you, Deputy. Good morning, Carl. How are you? I have to start, uh, Deputy, you're, you're staring out at me from the pages of the Irish Daily Mirror this morning because you walked from Kildalki to Trim yesterday with the parents and the kids who are struggling to get their places on the school bus. Yeah, I, I suppose um, many people living in rural Ireland will be aware that rural Ireland has been attacked by a thousand cuts 
um, over the last number of years. And um, yesterday morning I was in Kildalki for the protest by the, the parents and the children against the withdrawal of school bus places uh, from them. And last night I was at a meeting in Ratmaline where uh, locals were protesting against the closure of their own post office. In Kildalki, it's, it's a nonsense. Uh, two weeks before the school term started, um, the government and um, Bus Aaron came along and basically told at least a dozen kids that the, um, school pla- the school bus places were no longer available to them. And they either had to make their own way to the school or they had to change schools. Um, and, you know, some of these kids would have been on that bus for three and four years previously. And some of those kids would have their siblings, either their brother or their sister, uh, on the bus currently. Um, and, you know, these towns are towns that don't have a normal public uh, transport system at all. They might have one bus coming in in the morning and one bus coming back in the evening. We have we parents- have, we have deputy covered this. Uh, we had Una Soros on yesterday, who was the mum of two of the children who were walking. But where are we on this? Is there any progress? Have you made any... The decision is with John Halligan, and John Halligan is the minister uh, who is in charge of this area. Now, John seems to take more interest in, in North Korea currently, unfortunately, uh, than he does uh, in the job that he's actually given by the state. Um, so far, he hasn't come back with a change on it. They could easily provide more capacity for uh, the kids there to get them back to school. This problem arises every year, and indeed it's going to get worse in Kildalki because obviously there's a new school there. So we're asking John Halligan to do the right thing, to contact Bus Aaron and the parents, and simply say where the demand exists for school bus transport, that he will provide it. Yeah, and, and, uh, and in terms of Ratmaline then and the post office, I mean, it, we, we had Christy Ryan uh, from the shop across the road yesterday. He is interested in taking on some of the services that will go with the post office. Is the post office gone, do you think? Well, the post office that exists there currently is gone because obviously the particular postmaster has taken uh, the package offered by Impost, and that's fine. That, that's uh, their decision, and we're, we're not making any comments on that. But there is a demand in Ratmaline. There's over 300 people living in Ratmaline at the moment, and there's another 100 houses uh, going into Ratmaline, which was double the population of Ratmaline. And what we're seeing is uh, elderly uh, pensioners having to get taxis uh, in and out of Trim or Summerhill. But did you hear anything last night that would make you confident that the post office... Yeah, well, what I heard last night was a full room of of people who were angry and annoyed and people who were just sick to death with the fabric of rural communities being torn apart by government decisions such as this. And this was clearly... I haven't seen such a level of energy since, you know, we started the Save Navin Hospital campaign. This was a community that was determined to fight for itself. And, you know, it's not going to be an easy... Uh, win. It, it, it's going to be an uphill challenge. There's nothing guaranteed, but I, I definitely believe that that community in Ratmaline is up for the fight to make sure that the government know uh, uh, that there must be a post office there. And what I'm asking people to do in these areas is there is a uh, an email address in Unpost which allows people to articulate their view, views on why these decisions need to be reviewed and why these post offices need to be returned. I'm also asking people to Go to their local representatives. Don't just email them. Phone them and sit in their clinics and demand that those local representatives... We have three government ministers... Just, yeah, just, just get back to, to national issues for a second, Deputy, if you wouldn't mind. But in terms but just, of... Like, it, it is important that people stand up and for, we, for and this because if they don't... And we have, been, we have, been, covering, and yes, and we have been covering the story on the programme yeah. and we will continue to do so. But sure. to get back to the thinking, in, in terms of yesterday, the, the, the big headline this morning is that the vote of no confidence in the Housing Minister, uh, Owen Murphy, is going to go ahead... 
you've been accused by by Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil uh, of of making headlines when you should in fact be making policies. What would you say to them? Well, first of all, I'm I'm delighted and uh, that the party has made this decision because um, if anybody asked me or anybody I know, do you have confidence in Owen Murphy and Fianna Gael's policy with regards to housing crisis? I don't know one person at all who would say, yes, they have confidence in it. It is a national disaster which is affecting so many individuals on so many personal levels. As an elected rep, any elected rep will tell you that the most amount of phone calls you're getting in at the moment are from homeless people, from people waiting for houses, uh, for people who can't afford rents, and people who are crucified by the cost of mortgages uh, as well. And this has been allowed to happen, not by accident, but by the specific political uh, policies of Fine Gael. Fine Gael have been allergic to social housing bills over the last 10 years and they've allowed this uh, situation to happen. And the reaction is not what it should be. And, I, and, and what we're saying is we've given the government two years to resolve this, this issue uh, and they've gone from bad to worse and they need to change tack fully or leave the pitch. And Owen, Mur- Owen Murphy needs to leave, leave the pitch. I'm delighted that the, the party has actually now called for the uh, Ron Murphy to resign from his position. But it's already apparent that Fianna Fáil, who, who are their partners in the confidence and supply agreement, will not back this vote of no confidence. Well, I can tell you from talking to Fianna Fáilers, many of them are fiercely ang- angry at Micheál Martin's leadership. Micheál Martin is paralysed currently, politically. Um, every single decision he takes is a decision now to back up Fine Gael. Fine Gael are, are at their strongest they've ever been, and that's simply thanks thanks to Micheál Martin's leadership. And if I was a grassroots Fianna Fáiler at the moment, I would be furious at the decision the Fianna Fáil are taking to simply keep Fine Gael and their disastrous policies in place uh, for another couple of years. Um, what we're talking about here is, you know, a, an issue that affects every aspect of life. If you don't have a home, it's nearly impossible to have a decent education. If you don't have a home, it's nearly impossible to have mental health and the physical health in a good place. If you don't have a home, everything else suffers as a result. And this government are way behind the curve with regards to house bills, way behind the curve with regards to making sure that tenants have fixed seat of tenure and capped rents so that they, 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 can, uh, they can survive. But Fianna Fáil, they're, they're Fianna Fáil this morning, cards, Fianna Fáil this morning Deputy, have proposed tax uh, incentives for landlords who give extended uh, rents. That's, that's not going to help the homeless. No, it, it, it is certainly not going to help the homeless. What we need to make sure is our people in rental situations have the same rights as they do on the continent. This is not new. It's not, you know, reinventing the wheel. Give them contracts that they can say that they will be there for long periods of time and that they can be sure that they will have a roof over their heads. And also give them confidence that the rents are not going to increase more than the inflation rates right across the country. In Mead West, currently, we have a government minister, junior minister in housing. None of the towns in Mead West have actually rental caps, even though people are crucified currently with the rent that they're actually paying. Damien English has been a disaster with regards to housing. And I would actually call for no confidence in Damien English uh, activity with regards to housing as well. Mead Mead is on the bottom with regards investment in social housing uh, throughout the state, and that needs to change. And is that something you can bring to the dollar when it recom- comes back well, after the it, summer? The, 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 the first job of work is to ensure that we force the hand of Fianna Gael to uh, do the right thing with regards to housing. And the first way to do that is to call for 
Owen Murphy's resignation. And then Damien English. Well, it, uh, my, my call will also be for, for Damien English's resignation as well uh, as uh, Junior Minister in Housing because it breaks my heart every day to sit in clinics and listen to families who are literally falling apart due to the fact that they can't get a house uh, or a roof for themselves. The amount of people still in mortgage distress. I'm going to the, to the, um, the courts regularly in Trim, um, sitting in there and watching the, um, the, the people who suffered from the last crash still going through the courts in mortgage distress. And at the same time, see house prices return the Celtic Tiger levels. We've heard this morning from, from Helen McEntee, and I'm sure Damien English would say the same thing, that the government policy is in progress, that it is working, that it is going to make a difference, but that it needs time. Yeah, like I've, I've heard Damien say you can't fix this problem overnight. You're right, you can't fix this problem overnight. Fine Gael and government for seven years, they're not there overnight. And they have seven long years to start to fix this issue. And even if the issue was being turned around at this stage, well, then you would say, OK, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, we'll give them some fair wind, and we'll, we'll give them time. But the problem is getting worse. And really deeply worrying here is the fact that house prices are returning to um, Celtic Tiger levels. Because a house price should only be three or four times the annual wage of the average worker. When house prices start to stretch out to five, six, seven times, there's absolutely no justice there because what you're saying to people is they are being forced out of housing and owning their own home due to the policies of a government. And the government could very quickly reduce the the, the growth in house prices. Can I, can I bring you back to the think tank for a moment? And, and this yeah. is the first time Mary Lou MacDonald has been party leader at one of these. How has she performed so far, do you think? I think Mary Lou has been very good. Um, I think she has been very uh, sure-footed. Um, she's a, an excellent uh, articulator of government, uh, of Sinn Féin policy. And um, I think that Sinn Féin are, is going to do very well under Mary Lou. I think she's reaching out um, to a new generation and a new section of the electors, uh, which Sinn Féin uh, hasn't been able to do so, uh, so, so far. So, um, And I think that's reflective in the polls at the moment. Sinn Féin are uh, doing very well. We got about 14% in the last general election. And the polls are roughly putting Sinn Féin at 17 to 20 percent. She, she, re, she reiterated again this morning, Deputy, uh, the ambition to go into government. Do you get that sense at the meeting? Well, see, you can't change anything unless you're in government. And I know that there's a lot of talk, and uh, you know, people would have a lot of difficulty, and I would have difficulty, to be honest, in going into government uh, with people like Leo Varadkar uh, or Michal Martin, to be honest. Um, but to be honest, if you want to change, if you, if you, if I want to be in a situation where I'm not sitting in a clinic in two or three years' time, listening to people come to me with regards to housing crisis. I need to be making sure that there's a Sinn Féin Minister for Housing so that that Sinn Féin Minister can actually do the work that's necessary to turn the situation around. There's no point in being uh, on the opposition benches throwing stones when you can actually be in there fixing the situation, and that's what needs to happen. So, you know, what we're looking for is the strongest possible Sinn Féin vote over the next uh, number of, of elections to make sure that we are in the strongest possible position. And you, you would happily sit with either Leo Vradkar or Michal Martin, if that's what I it would. took. No, no, I'll be honest, my own personal... Okay, happily, happily may not be the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I, I actually don't think uh, Fianna Gael are fit for government currently. Um, I think that what they've done to the, the fabric of Irish society uh, over the last while is akin to the type of cruel policies that you see amongst the Tories, and Trump America. They may do so with greater spin and greater 
media acumen, but the actual um, impacts on real working families are exactly the same as the Tories are inflicting in Britain and Trump is inflicting in America. Finally, Deputy, uh, just to wrap up, the one election you can win, of course, is the presidential election. When are we going to see the candidate? And have you any uh, inside information for us on who it's going to be? Um, I, I, I think the candidate will be probably um, identified within the next week. Um, I think that it's likely to be Leah Nereida, who's the Sinn Féin MEP for Munster. And I know Leah really well because I worked with her in Leinster House for years. Leah's very, a very, very strong candidate. And um, I think really what's important here is this is a presidential election with no Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael candidate. Um, it's a serious opportunity for the first time for Sinn Féin to actually to win this uh, particular electoral uh, uh, contest. And it's an opportunity to put our values in front of people to say that you know there is a there's a different way of doing things you know where we can have a prosperity that is shared uh, by the many uh, but we don't have to inflict such a level of pain and suffering on low and middle income families to do so Deputy, thank you so much indeed for your time this morning. That's Deputy Pather Tobin there taking time out from the Sinn Féin think tank in Cavan. And Deputy Tobin is the Sinn Féin TD for Mead West and the party spokesperson on regional development, rural affairs, arts and the Gael Talk. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Carl Dervin. Now, an article in the Irish Independent caught her eye. The article was written by Charlie Weston, who's the personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. And Charlie told us that banks have moved to make it easier easier for consumers to cancel unwanted subscriptions and he wrote that the changes are likely to come as a huge relief as many companies make it very difficult for customers who have signed up for services the likes of gym memberships, TV, online streaming services to get out of their contract. I'm delighted to say Charlie joins us on the line. Good morning to you Charlie. Hi Carl, how are you doing? Give us a, a brief outline of the of your report Charlie and what it means for consumers. Yeah well you know you end up signed up for a lot of subscriptions and sometimes trying to get out of them can be an absolute nightmare. I mean, it can be anything from gym membership, uh, TV, online streaming services, uh, could be a contract for software security on your computer and trying, cancelling those, it's very difficult. I mean, I tried myself recently to cancel a subscription for uh, software um, antivirus stuff and just, they wouldn't, yeah, the only option was to go on the website of the company and uh, send a message to the company's website that you wanted to cancel the, the contract. Got no response. It's very, very difficult. So uh, that's extremely frustrating. So, so of course, the, the, of the longer it takes them to cancel your subscription, the more money they're making. Exactly, and people forget about these subscriptions. They put a bit of time into trying to cancel them. They find it very difficult to do that, and they just leave them in situ. And there are you'll find that a lot of people have subscriptions coming out of their uh, bank accounts that they don't want. Uh, come, could be coming off their credit card, their debit card, or it could be a direct debit. And these things are there. They don't want them. It's costing them money, and they're difficult to, ca- to cancel, if not impossible. And you know, it's almost a deliberate policy by some companies to make it very, very difficult for you to cancel that subscription. And in, in some cases, as well, Charlie, they will re- renew automatically on an annual basis, and you, you, you haven't even realised that they're going to renew. No, that is the problem, though. You're right, Carl. That is the issue here. It's, it's the fact that these things are renewing every year. Uh, you know, there's somewhere in the small print it says that you're signing up for this, but not, it's not just a once-off. You're signing up for uh, this indefinitely. So once a year this money is coming out now it could be monthly but generally it's once a year they're hoping people won't won't realise this I mean research has been done in England on this and they reckon in England that 
unwanted subscriptions are costing people an average of 50 euros a month. Now, that's a lot of money, uh, uh, you know. And 600, are, 600 euros over a year. Yeah, you know, and that's an average. So, you know, so you, you, I think if you examine almost anybody's bank account, you'll find one or two subscriptions that are coming out that people just don't don't need, don't want. Uh, it's costing them money and they'd be better off without it. So, you know, you, you, so there is some good news here. For once, the banks have made a, made a difference here. Uh, if you have a subscription and it's coming out of your credit card account or, or it's coming out of your debit card account, you can now ring the bank and you can say to them, I want that cancelled. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't want that anymore because, um, uh, you know, it, it, this is just too difficult to, 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 to cancel, you know, or to, I don't want it. And... Um, so you can you can get that off your credit card account or your debit card account, and, and you, you you have the power now to instruct the bank to, to stop uh, stop paying that subscription. So they're giving they're giving us back ownership. Yeah, you're getting a bit of control back here now. Previously, you, you used to have to go through back to the merchant or the supplier of the service, get them to agree to, to, to cancel it, get them to get onto your bank, and it was very difficult. And, and you know, companies were playing on this. They were, they were, they were using this as a way of not uh, cancelling the subscriptions. The other trick, of course, was they were saying to you, you need to give six months' notice before this is cancelled, and you'd probably forget about it. Uh, you give the six months' notice, nothing would happen, you won't chase it up. So, at last now, if you got uh, a subscription of some kind coming out of your credit card account or you have it as linked to your debit card you now have the power to do something about that uh, when it comes to direct debits it's a little bit more complicated despite the fact that there's been some changes to the regulations uh, you need to give you need to essentially uh, you, you need to cancel a direct debit you need to do it in writing uh, you write to the bank, you write to the service provider, and uh, you need to give about a month's notice. And uh, if if you do that, the banks will now should allow you to cancel that direct de- debit uh, without having to kind of you know get something back from the uh, service provider. So is this, is this all banks, Charlie? It, yeah, it's generally all banks. You know, I, I spoke to all of the banks. You know, AIB and Bank of Ireland, the both uh, with current accounts and uh, current payments, uh, they'll allow the customer to cancel it. Uh, you, know, you may have to go through a mobile app now, for example, with Bank of Ireland. Ulster Bank said payments linked to cards can be cancelled directly with the bank. Permanent TSB said they can cancel recurrent payments if the customer tells them that they've tried to, to cancel it and, and, and have had no success. And that That's for both credit cards and debit cards. Now, KBC, they're looking into ways to take instructions from customers to stop card subscriptions. So, uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing to do here is maybe just consider putting putting one of these kind of things on a card rather than direct debit, because direct debits are a bit more difficult to get out of. But you, you should be able to get out of both of them now. Most banks now are allowing the customer to take control. Uh, you know, to, to, they won't necessarily demand that you make efforts to contact the, the, the supplier of the service or the you know, the subscription people, and they'll allow you to actually inform the bank and instruct the bank, I want that cancelled. I don't want that on my account anymore. I don't want that coming out of my uh, funds. I want that cancelled, which is good well, news for consumers. Charlie, thanks to you. I'm going to have a good look at my bank account now and see which, <laughs> see which subscriptions I took out for whatever golf channel it might have been over the years. You'd never know. But thank you for your time this morning. That's Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. And his story is on their website about how it is now easier to get rid of costly subscriptions. Now, speaking of high costs, new research published today by the Economic and Social Research Institute and Pubble has found that mothers who face child 
care costs rising uh, work fewer hours. Parents will spend an average of 12% of their disposable income on childcare for the three-year-old. This has posed a significant barrier to employment for women, says the Economic and Social Research Institute. Joining us to discuss this is Associate Research Professor with the ESRI, Fran McGinnity, one of the authors of the report. Good morning to you, Fran. Good morning, Cahill. Is that a fair assessment of the key headline report in this, that uh, high childcare costs means women work fewer hours? Yes, Cahill. Um, using the Growing Up in Ireland data, that's using data on 9,000 families. Uh, we find that the amount uh, families pay for childcare affects how much uh, the mother works. I mean, this will probably come as no surprise to listeners, but we now have Irish evidence on this. The average price of, of childcare, you're looking at what, €4.50 an hour in 2017, sorry, in 2011, yes. and then almost €5 Euros an hour in 2017. That's right, yes. And this varies a bit depending on, um, you know, whether the families are using a childminder. Uh, the childminder in the family home is the most uh, expensive, uh, 570 per hour there in, in, in 2011 when we had this data. Childminder outside the family home is, is 4.43 an hour and, and centre-based care crashes is uh, 4.48 uh, per hour. And then uh, the, the prices have gone up about about 7% since then, uh, so uh, a bit dearer in, in 2017 prices. But, yeah, and this is, um, I mean, <clears throat> again, listeners may know this, but uh, costs are, uh, are are very high in international comparison in Ireland. I mean, second only to the United States in terms of, of OECD countries in, in terms of what families are paying for uh for preschool childcare. So what we were interested in then was, you know, what effect that's having on, on the mother's employment. And of course, as our listeners will be well aware, uh, costs on the East Coast are higher than anywhere else in the country. Yes, that's right. So it's uh, Dublin and, and surrounding counties is, uh, where, they, where the, costs are, uh, the costs are highest. They're, um, they're quite a bit higher than the, the Ireland average or uh, further over in, in, in the West. And again, as the economy expands and employment opportunities increase, there is a greater demand for the workforce, but this has got to be seen as a barrier. Yes, and uh, we see again, looking internationally, you know, that uh, um, employment rates for women are lower in Ireland for uh, both preschool children and, and school-aged children. We were focusing specifically on preschool, but uh, there's, there's lower employment rates. And this... Uh, is associated with the with uh, with high childcare costs, and yes, I, you know there's now going to be increasingly jobs available for women, and the question is whether uh, women can avail of those opportunities if they if they choose to do so. In terms of gender, has there been much of a difference between 2011 and now in terms of the number of men who are staying at home to look after the children? Um, we didn't look at that specifically, uh, Carl, but. Uh, there was some effect during the recession. Uh, people will surely remember that when there were massive job losses in construction. So uh, there were more uh, men. Uh, men were harder. Male employment was harder hit by the recession. So there was a little bit more of uh, the um, female uh, breadwinner households. But uh, we didn't look at that specifically now between uh, 2011 and 2017. It's uh, talked about a lot in, in Sunday newspapers, but actually uh, the, uh, the number of, of uh, men uh, staying at home to, to look after small children is, is, quite, uh, is quite small in Ireland. Uh, that's not to say that we don't think that's a good idea. It's just 
all the research and uh, both in Ireland and internationally suggests that um, a mother's employment is much more sensitive to the presence of children and the age of children than, uh, than men's employment is. What would you recommend now? I see where the Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, uh, Dr Catherine Zappone, has said that the research adds to the substantial body of evidence showing that our radical new approach to childcare must continue. What's radical about it exactly, Fran? Well, I suppose um, after decades of underinvestment in in childcare, which is part of the reason we have quite very high costs, there has been a substantial uh, government investment in recent years and uh, the, the, the free preschool year, people will have, uh, many people will have heard of that, the, the, the biggest investment so far. There are some targeted subsidies for, for lower income households and they're going to be amalgamated into this new affordable childcare scheme. So the affordable childcare scheme, um, as we understand it, will have both uh, a targeted element, so for uh, for lower income families, depending on family income, uh, some families may may get more of a payment, and also universal. So all families uh, with um, with preschool children will get um, will get some subsidy. And I suppose the general um, principle of uh, of of targeting of, of of more subsidies to lower income households is consistent with our research because we fa- we do find that. Uh, there's a bigger uh, barrier, a bigger effect for, for lower-income families in terms of uh, the cost of, of childcare. So I suppose uh, it's certainly the, the new policy changes are heading in the right direction, uh, but uh, there's, there's, quite a long, uh, there's quite a long road to travel in terms of uh, um, supporting uh, families and mothers' employment. So as the old saying goes, much done and more to do. Yes, indeed. The research is available online? Yes, uh-huh, yeah, it's on the um, www.esri.ie. Uh, you can uh, can download uh, the, the report there. And it certainly is worth a look. Fran McGinnity, Associate Research Professor with ES, ESRI, thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you're welcome back to The Michael Reed Show, 086 1800 658, if you'd like to make a comment, and we will, of course, read them out tomorrow with Marie just after 10 o'clock. Now, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Garda Ken Bogan from Drogheda Station for our weekly crime spot. Good morning to you. Good morning, Hal. How are you? We're going to begin, Ken, with a theft of a large sum of money from a little car park. That's correct. The first instance we talked about this morning occurred on the... F- 17th of August at approximately 4pm and um, the victim in this case withdrew a large sum of money from the Bank of Ireland on Cambras Street in Dundalk and then proceeded to the Little Store on the Avenue Road. Uh, on returning to the car a short time later the um, car door had been forced open and the sum of money was removed. The victim's car was a black Ford Galaxy so we're just asking anyone who has observed that car in the town centre or indeed in the little car park to contact my colleagues at Dundalk Guard Station please. And would you think perhaps the person was watched taking the money out? I, I would strongly assume that they were followed from the Clumbrassel, the Bank of Ireland to the Little. yes. Unfortunate. Very unfortunate yes. Now a burglary in Brookville and Drogheda. 
Yes, um, on this occasion, the homeowner discovered three males in the rear garden on the 29th of the 8th at 10.40am, so quite early for an incident like this. Um, the rear of the property was damaged. On seeing the homeowner, the three males fled and left the estate. Um, the only description we have are they were wearing dark hoodies pulled up over their heads. So we're asking anyone at that time in the morning on the way to work or bring kids to preschool if they observed any males fleeing that direction out of the Brookville estate to contact my colleagues in Drada, please. Now, a serious assault at the Ramparts Lane in Drogheda. Yes, in Dundalk, yes. The, Dundalk, the, um This incident occurred at the Ramparts, Ramparts Lane. Um, locals be aware, this is a laneway that runs down the side, side of the Lawn Tennis Club and comes out at the church. Um, at approximately 1am on the 2nd of September, uh, the victim was assaulted by a male who approached on a dark-coloured bicycle. Um, as a result of the, the serious assault, the victim required um, intensive hospital treatment Um a mobile phone and a large sum of money was taken from the victim. The victim is described, or the, the suspect is described as being Irish, five foot eight, of medium build, with short hair and possibly in his mid thirties. Um, following this robbery, the suspect fled in the direction of onto Rampart Road in the direction of St Patrick's Cathedral. So, anyone around that time of night, one a.m., taxi drivers, anyone who was um, out socialising, we'd ask you to contact my colleagues at Dundalk if you had any observations. And of course, as always in these instances, Ken, something that you may think was a little bit unusual could actually be very significant. Yes. I'd, I'd rather everyone contacted with information that they believed they had and we, we'd be in a position to, to see whether it's relevant or not. Now, the next topic, we discussed this on the programme last week because, of course, with the boom in building, uh, theft of tools is becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, as the economy picks up again, this sort of crime tries, uh, rises up again. Um, this particular incident was uh, in the Deer Park estate in Ashburn. Uh, on the 29th of the 8th, uh, between 7.30pm and into the morning then at 8am. Uh, the van in question was parked in a driveway house within Deer Park and it was a white Reynolds Master and a number of high-value tools were stolen from the van um, and they were Stanley-branded tools. So again, anyone in the estate, anyone working, leaving the estate at that time, if they observed any activity or indeed if they've been offered these items for sale, to contact um, the Gardaí at Ashburn. And it is very important for tradesmen to stamp their tools, Of course, it? Yeah, and there's, there's many products out there to enable people to do that. So you'll have some record of it going forward. Now, schools have returned and traffic, of course, has increased right across the region. What's your advice to motorists at this time of year? Yes, just with the schools coming back, the traffic, as you say, the traffic increases massively. And we're just asking people to take that extra time when um, leaving to get to the schools and to places of work. Um, the RSA, the Road Safety Authority, um, also have advice on their website in relation to car seats. And in fact, their studies have shown three out of four car seats are not fitted correctly. So we're just asking parents to take that extra time to make sure that their children are secure in the car. And indeed, the RSA provides a facility where if you register with them, they will assist in making sure that your seat is So they'll actually correctly. have a look and see have if it look, needs to yeah. be readjusted. And, yes. and again, I think in a lot of the motor factors, for example, or the, the children's stores, if you buy the seat, they will fit it for you. Yeah, they will. And it's very important that these feats, uh, seats are fitted correctly because it may look like it's secure, but it's only at a time of impact that you'll realise that that the seat isn't as secure as it was. We can see as well the evenings are starting to get darker. Yeah, so with, with children going to school and coming back to school, very soon it's going to be done in the dark. So just again, high-vis jackets for children, make sure there's lights on bikes, helmets. And we'd also ask drivers to be that bit extra patient on the road with the increased traffic, especially around schools and built-up areas. Because, of course, if there's a speed limit outside of school, it's there for a it's reason. It's there for a reason. It's not there to hinder or annoy anyone. It's there for a very practical reason. Now, there's an open day coming up at Ashburn Garda Station. Yes, the open day is on Sunday, the 9th of September, between 12pm and 3pm. So... Um, 
There's free face painting there for children and adults if they wish to have <laughs> their face painted. There's displays from different National Guard units, um, also a tour of the station, and the Road Safety Authority have a, a rollover simulator, which is quite an interesting experience. Like, so it likes to recreate. Recreate the effects of being in a car if it rolls. So it's right. a great day. Um, we've had a number of them uh, around the country, and it's, it's well worth to pop into your local Garda station in Ashburn if you haven't done so. So that's Ashburn Garda station on the 9th of September, which, which if memory serves me correctly, Sunday. Is this Sunday this coming? Sunday, so 12 to 3. Yes. 12 to 3, so certainly worth a look at that Ashburn Garda station this Sunday. Garda Ken Boggan from Drogheda, thank you so much for your time this thank morning. You. My thanks as well to Marie, to Maggie, and to Chris. Paul is next with the mid morning show. We'll be back just after 9.15 tomorrow morning. Thank you for listening. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.